All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for these awesome, awesome, awesome people that you have brought here and that you have given us to talk to today. Lord, I thank you for your word, Romans 1.11, for a mighty impartation. Thank you, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, that the, the, the people today receive a mighty deposit of the Holy Spirit, that our eyes are opened because of how much you love us. Father, I just confess John chapter 8, 31 and 32, that we know the truth, and the truth that we know sets us free. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I'm actually preaching old school today. I'm actually preaching off paper. Did you all know paper even existed? My tablet is like wigging out. And so I don't even know if I can preach off paper. I haven't done this in years. So <laughs> I have to flip my pages and everything. But how many know God will help us? It is day one of the best of your life. How many of you have had a few days in life that you wish you could mark off the calendar? Let's just be honest. I remember it was, uh, it was um, April uh, 2001. I came home. I was in high school. I was a junior in high school. Came home from school. And my mom wasn't at home. And this was really odd because mom knows when I get home, I'm hungry and I need to eat. Come on, anybody out there. And mom wasn't home. And so uh, it was a little bit odd. And we thought, well, where's she at? Maybe she's with grandparents or anything like that. And, and we started thinking and calling and all that. Couldn't reach anybody. And all of a sudden, my brother and I were like, well, where's my mom? She's always home. And all of a sudden, uh, the phone rang and it was my uncle saying, hey, this is your uncle Tom. And your mom has been in a very, very bad uh, car accident. And you need to get, you know, to the hospital now. So I called my dad, and we were young, and, and they had taken her. All we heard was, it's really bad. Uh, we, we've taken her by a life star to UT Hospital. Later on, I told my mom, if you wanted a helicopter ride, I would have taken you to Pigeon Forge. <laughs> that was not necessary. But anyway, long, long story short, uh, my mom and my grandmother, uh, they were driving down the road, and my grandmother spilled her coffee. And uh, they something happened. They were trying to fix it and looking, this, that, and the other. And, and they just kind of veered off the road just a little bit. Went down about a 30-foot embankment, hit trees. My mom didn't have her seatbelt on. PSA, wear your seat belt. That's public service announcement for those of you like, what the PSA mean? <laughs> PSA, public service announcement, wear your seatbelt. And so she was thrown out of the window about 70, 60, 70 feet, uh, broke her back in three places and on and on. But now today, my mom is totally healed and totally restored. Come on, can we give God thanks? Man, praise God for that. But my point is, that was a very tragic day in our family. There were hours where we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know if my mom was alive or dead or, or any of the situation. And that's one of those days, just frankly, that I wish I could take off of my calendar. I want us to open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Anybody bring a Bible? To turn on your phone, your iPad, no, no problem. Just don't be playing Candy Crush during the sermon. I want to give you a little background, 2 Samuel 12. I want to talk to you here about a, a, a person that had a really bad day. And this is King David. And this, is, this was his day one. David, how many of you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? Anybody remember that story? Man, let me just give you a little background. So David was supposed to be at war. How many of you know you need to be where you're supposed to be when you need to be there? At the, in the springtime when the kings were supposed to be at war, David was not. He was at home. I don't even want to get into why I think that was, but anyway, he, he was drifting in his walk with God, and he, was, he wasn't doing what he needed to be. So how many know you need to be at church on Sunday? I'm just, tell, I'm just throwing that out there. And so David is on his roof walking around, and he sees this beautiful lady, and she's bathing, and so David is overcome with lust. Now, I personally believe this wasn't the first time he had saw this. I believe this had been something developing in his heart. 
And so he sent his servants and said, hey, go bring this woman to my house. And long story short, they had relations, uh, ended up having a child, and it's just, it just a really bad mess. David, King David, the great King David, remember Goliath? Anybody remember Goliath? Remember the little boy that killed Goliath? This is that David. Remember David on the harp singing and the demons would leave Saul? This is that David. You can be walking with God at one season in your life and then there'll be another season where you're not even in any kind of relationship with God. But there's still hope. There's still a day one for you. And so David finds the husband. He's like, man, I'm in trouble. I mean, no, Bathsheba comes and says, hey, king, I got something to tell you. Remember that little one night stand we had the other day? Well, guess what? We're going to be having a baby. And David is panicking. It's just really bad. And so David begins to plot murder in his heart. I mean, a one bad thing leads to many bad things. It's, it's like sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you much longer than you want to stay. And so David says, I know what I'll do. I'll bring, I'll bring the husband home, Uriah, the Hittite. I'll bring him home. And I'll get a report on the battle. All the other men are at war. And so Uriah comes home to the king's house, and David gets a report, and he says, Now, why don't you go on home and see your wifey? <laughs> why don't you go on home and clean up and wash up? By the way, your wife, she's really been missing you. Why don't you go home? And, and he thought, thought for sure that Uriah would go home and see Bathsheba. But he said, My men are in temporary shelters. My men are in terrible living conditions. I cannot go. I'm going to sleep at the door of the king's house. So David said, well, what am I going to do now? So he began to give him drink, strong drink, and even got the man drunk. And Uriah still would not go home. And so David wrote a letter and said, give this to the captain of the army. And Uriah went back to the captain of the army, and that, he opened that letter, and it said, I want you to put Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, whom David had this uh, extramarital affair with. And he said, I want you to put him on the front lines. This is a bad day. This is a bad dude. How many of you have done anything this bad? Any, any, amen. Thank God. How many of you are honest in the house? I mean, I've done some bad stuff, but I haven't quite done you know, all this. And so the, the note said this, Leah. It said, I want you to put Uriah on the front lines, and then when the enemy comes in the fiercest part of the battle, I want everybody to withdraw, to pull back, and Uriah would be killed. And that's exactly what happened. And so now God sends a man of God to David. David was out of fellowship for almost a year, uh, scholars tell us, and a man named Nathan. Everybody say, hey, Nathan. Uh, God sent a prophet named Nathan to David, and they had this conversation, and David's sin was exposed. And David was told that God was angry at him for his sin. And God said, you would not die. But the baby that you're having would die. That's what God said through Nathan. The baby would die. Let me give you a balance here. Let me give you a point of balance. God did not kill the child. God is not a murderer. Can I have an amen? David, by his own actions and by his own consequences, stepped outside of the protection of God. And so I want you to know that very clearly. This wasn't God saying, I'm going to kill your child to teach you a lesson. This was David stepping out of the divine protection of God. David knew the divine protection of God. David had fought Goliath and fought all these wars and battles, and David stepped outside of God's protection. Now, we have tragedies in our life. I had the tragedy with my mother. So, several of you have had family members die suddenly or some you know, major tragedy. And I want to tell you today that that doesn't mean you stepped out of God's will. I'm not here condemning you and telling you. A lot of times, now in David's situation, that was clear he stepped out of God's will. How many know adulterous affair and murder? I believe you're on your way out of God's protection. But listen, when bad things happen to us, it's not necessarily because we're in some big sin. In fact, when tragedy comes our way, it's really as I'm going to show you 
in a minute. It's really because we're moving in the right direction. It's because we have an enemy. His name is the devil, and he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And so just because you or your family has went through a, a tragedy or a devastating event doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. In fact, it probably means if your heart is right and you're seeking God, it probably means you're moving in the right direction. So let's pick up on this story, 2 Samuel 12. Let's look at verse 20. This is in the middle of the story. David has been confronted by Nathan. The child has now died. It's an awful, horrible, tragic day. Now look at verse 20. David got up from the ground. Somebody say, he got up. He washed himself. He put on lotions. That was a little girly for such a manly man to put on lotions, but that's what the Bible says. He got up and he put on lotions and he changed his clothes. And then he went to the tabernacle and he worshiped the Lord. And the Bible says after that, he returned to the palace and reserved food and he ate. Look at verse 21. His advisors and counselors were amazed. They said, we don't understand They told King David, when the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. You were fasting, making this big deal because the child was alive, but he was sick. It says, now that the child is dead, you've stopped your mourning. You're eating again. Look at verse 22. David replied. He said, I fasted and I wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord would be gracious to me and let the child live. Look at verse 23. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. I can't bring the child back, but I will go to him one day. How many know everybody deals with tragedy different? I want to show you a short little video clip of this couple that dealt with tragedy in a really, really unique way. Everybody deals with tragedy in their own way, and they process it differently. Check out this couple and look at how they dealt with tragedy. Mrs. Smith. I asked you to come in here. I didn't want to talk about it in front of your husband who's in the other room. Uh, But he has a very serious condition. It's it's so rare, I've looked this up and they don't even have a Latin name for it yet. What needs to happen is he needs to be in a calm and safe environment. He needs to be pampered every single day. If he needs a glass of water, get it for him as quickly as possible. If his feet hurt, rub them. Shoulders, same thing. It's imperative that you understand because if your husband doesn't have a stress-free environment, he could die. Do you understand everything I've said? Uh, Yes, I I understand. Okay, good. I think it's time for you to let him know what's going on. I think it'd be best coming from you. So what's wrong with me? What did the doctor say? Well, honey, you're gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, how many of you think that's how you might deal with that sort of tragedy? Now, I've been thinking, now I know that's funny, but we're dealing with some heavy stuff. And how many know a, a, a merry heart does good like a medicine? And a spoonful of sugar really does make the medicine go down just a little easier. But we all have tragic events in our life. And I began to write this down. I, I really felt revelation from the Lord. This is all new today. All this is brand new. This isn't something I heard on a tape or got on the internet or have preached before. This is all new. This is all for you today. I believe with all my heart. I felt the power of God so strong when I was writing this. I sat down yesterday morning going over it with my family 
preaching it to Miss Tara because I didn't know she would be in here or not. So I was preaching it to her. And I literally was overcome with emotion just at my kitchen table, just thinking about how much God loves us and what this message is going to do to you wonderful people and how it's going to help you and encourage you. I want to give you four terrible truths about tragedy. How many of you be honest and say you've been through a tragedy and, and we need a day one? See, see, David wound up with a day one, which we're going to look at in just a second. Tragedy really does a few things. Number one, look at this. Number one, it takes a piece of our heart. Anytime you go through a tragic situation, a loss of a loved one or a loss of a job or something sudden, just all of a sudden, life, you're just walking through the woods and all of a sudden, boom, you fall in this pit. You just, the rug is pulled out from under you. You just find yourself in this terrible tragedy, whatever it may be. The Bible says very clearly in Psalm 34 and 18, I love this. Listen to this. Let this bring healing to you today. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves the crushed in spirit. I'd like you to write that down. If you ever go through a tragedy, pull this up. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. You see, when we go through a tragedy, it actually takes a piece of our heart. And you may never actually get that piece of your heart back. But God can bring healing and God can help you get through that tragedy. Number two, the second terrible truth that I have learned about tragedy is this. Number two is this. Tragedy ties up our emotions. Tragedy ties up our emotions. When David was going through this tragedy, all of his emotional being was put into weeping and praying and fasting, everything he could do to save the child. When we go through tragedy, it ties up our emotions. Now, why is that a problem? Because our emotions were made to be given to the Lord. The Bible says in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, in the message, it says, love the Lord with all of your passions. Somebody say passion. It says, love, Lord, with all your prayer and all your intelligence and all your energy. What is that? That is emotions. How many know God gave us emotions? We are emotional beings. We have emotional connection with the Lord. In tragedy, listen, tragedy tries to take our emotions hostage. Our emotions are designed to love God. Our emotions are designed to love people. But when we go through a tragedy, it takes our emotions hostage, and all we can think about is the tragedy. And therefore, the emotions that God gave us to love Him with and to minister to people with are hijacked, and they're taken hostage. They're kept from fully going after the Lord. They block you. Listen, when you go through a tragedy, your emotions block you from connecting with God's love. It's an assignment of the enemy. It's what Satan wants to do to block us from God's love. Number three, check this out. Tragedy, if it is not dealt with, will quickly turn into bitterness. Tragedy takes, tragedy ties, and tragedy, if it's not dealt with, will turn into bitterness and resentment. Now listen, let me hear my heart, okay? Hear my compassionate heart. I'm not saying this in an insensitive way, like you just need to deal with it. You need to deal with that. And that's not at all what I'm saying. When you go through a tragedy, here's how you need to deal with it. You need to come to terms in your heart immediately that God is a good God. He's a good Father, that He loves you and that He cares about you and that He has a great plan for your life. And understand that God is not the source and cause of your problem. God is the answer to our problem. So when I say we have to deal with it quickly, that's what I mean. Or you can become bitter and angry at people that you love, and you can become bitter and angry at a God that loves you because of this tragic thing in your life, because of awful awful teaching in the body of Christ that says, well, I'm sorry your kid got cancer. God is trying to teach you something. I'm sorry. That's heresy and that's baloney. 
God is not a cancer-causing, car-wrecking creator. He's a loving, life-giving Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we're free from all tragedy. We live in a fallen world. Do you know why we have tragedy? It's because of sin. David had tragedy because of sin. We have tragedy because we live in a fallen, sinful humanity. It may not be your sin, but it's the sin of the world. We, how many li- realize we live in a cursed world? How many of you have ever picked blackberries? We live in a cursed world? The thorns on blackberries? Is it blackberries that has thorns? Okay, all right, just checking. I'm not the fruit guy around here. But you understand if you've ever cut yourself or nicked yourself with a thorn, we live in a very, very fallen world. And if we don't settle in our heart that God loves us and he cares for us and he wants us to get through the tragedy, if we don't settle that, we will become bitter and we will have resentment toward God. Number four, check this out, tragedy is designed, let me read this right here. The thief's purpose, John 10, 10, is to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, that doesn't mean like rich, like Lamborghini rich. You know what I'm saying? I have seen folks that have a garage that's nicer than my house, okay? I'm not talking about just wealth and riches and all that, but I'm talking about rich in peace. Anybody want peace? I'm talking about rich in joy, rich in love, rich in connection with God. And so I want you to see this. The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give you abundant life, a rich and satisfying life. Number four, check this out. Tragedy is designed to tear down your relationship with God. Tragedy is designed to tear down your relationship with God. Think about this. Everything Satan does is a counterfeit of what God does. You understand that? Everything that Satan does is a counterfeit of what God does. When God wants to love you and bless you, he sends a blessing into your life. He'll send a person into your life to bless you. Let me say that again. When God wants to bless you, he'll send a person into your life. How does God bless us? Through people. How many have ever had a tree just bend over and bless you? (laughs) If it is, you need to quit smoking something. We talked about getting past your past, okay? Trees don't bless people. People bless people. But now listen, if Satan wants to tear down your life, if Satan wants to cause you harm, he's going to send a person. If God uses people to bless, then Satan will often use people to bring cursings into our life. And we've got to realize that tragedy is designed at its core root to tear down our relationship with a loving God. Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to let this become a tombstone. I'm going to let this become a stepping stone. I'm going to turn this setback into a step up because God is calling us higher. This can be day one of the best of your life if we hear and do these principles. Can I have an amen out there? Amen. amen. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to see this in verse 10. When you forgive this man, this is kind of a scripture. It's, it kind of, the context kind of bleeds, but I want you to see the next part. I wanted you to see it in context. Paul says, when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when you forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. Paul's saying, deal with the problem. Somebody say, deal with it. He's saying, deal with the issue. Now look at verse 11. Why do we deal with the issue? How many of you know somebody that just won't deal with issues? (laughs) You got to deal with the issue. And I can't tell you what that looks like. But look here at verse 11. We deal with the problem, forgiveness in this case, so that Satan will not outsmart us. Do you know how much, how many of you have heard how much God loves you? It's limitless. There's unlimited amounts of God's love. How many of you have heard how much God loves you? 
Do we need more peeps? I mean, we don't have enough sugar. How many of you have heard God loves you? <laughs> Amen. So, so the amount that God loves you, Satan counterfeits that, and he hates you almost to the degree that God loves you. Satan hates you because he knows how much God loves you. So Satan will not outsmart us. We deal with tragedy, so we will be familiar with his evil schemes. How many athletic guys are in the house? How many want to be athletes in the house? <laughs> Y'all pray for my little boy. He, he's, what is he? How old is Noah? Seven? How old is he? Seven? You don't know? What's wrong with you? I think he's seven. I don't know. Look, when you have as many kids as I have, it's a miracle I can even remember their names. Praise God. I'm about to have four. I have three, about to have four. Noah is seven years old. Okay, it's coming back now. Noah is seven years old. Y'all pray for my little boy. He wants to play basketball. But he runs like his daddy. <laughs> I'm hoping he takes up music, okay? But listen, in athletics, there's defensive schemes, okay? There's offensive schemes. There's defensive schemes. Let's run this scheme. What scheme? You hear it on Sports Talk, Tyler. You know. What scheme are they doing? How, what is the plan of offense? What is the plan of defense? The problem with most Christians is we are completely ignorant. We are completely ignorant to Satan's devices and Satan's schemes. And God wants to change that. Now, how many know this is Easter? Well, what? Are, how many know this is Easter? <laughs> how many you're not going to raise your hand no matter what? So, Pastor James, this is Easter. Thank God for dealing with tragedy. Man, that's powerful. Thank God I saw that in David's life. What does this have to do with Easter? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse uh, 24. This is the verse that I want you to see that ties this in to Easter Sunday. 2 Samuel chapter 2, and let's look at verse 24. And this is what your Bible says. See, this, this, is, this is the hope that David tapped into. Go down to verse 24, Jared. It says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Now Uriah's gone. God has restored them. Now Bathsheba and David are married. How many know that God can turn our tragedy into a testimony? God can turn our tragedy into a triumphal situation that he can use for his glory. It says that David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, slept with her. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved the child. Has anybody heard of the great King Solomon, who was one of the wisest and richest kings of all time, second to Jesus, the wisest man to ever live? Jesus was the first, the most wise. But God took a mess and a tragedy and said, this is day one of the best of your life. This is day one of the best of your life. Life. Now, what does this have to do with the resurrection? I want you to see this here. Let me give you real quickly two reasons for the resurrection. This is how we tie this in. David tapped into the resurrection of Christ. You see, how can the dead go to the dead? The only way that someone dead can go to someone dead is if they die in Jesus Christ. The Bible says if we die as a believer, if I'm a believer in Christ, when I exit this earth, the Bible says that my home is now in heaven for all of eternity. And so I have the hope that when I die, I have the hope that I'm going to be with my grandparents that knew the Lord. I have the hope that I'm going to be with all my family members that had professed faith in Christ and followed him. And so here, let me give you very quickly two right reasons for the resurrection. Number one, it's the foundation of all of Christian faith. The resurrection makes Christianity so much different than every other religion. 
Christianity, the thing that separates us is that our God came and he died and gave his life, but yet God rose him from the dead. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start at verse 1, Jared. We're going to look at 14, but I want you to look at verse 1. Is this helping anybody anywhere? David tapped into this revelation of the resurrection of Jesus. And he said, I can't, I can't, the child can't come back to me, but I can go to the child. Now, here we go. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before you welcomed it then, you still stand firm in it. Now, look at this in verse 2. It's the good news if you continue. Somebody say continue. Somebody say continue. If you continue to believe the message I told you, we have to continue in our faith in the Lord Jesus. It says, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. He's saying, if you believe what I told you, then it's true. If you believe something else and you believe the lie, then, then it's not going to help you. Now go to the next verse. Look at verse 3. I passed on to you what was the most important. Somebody say most important. Most important. Here's the whole story of Easter. This is how David ties this into Easter. Check this out. It says, what has been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins. And just as the scripture said, he was buried. Verse 4, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Verse 5, he was seen by Peter and the twelve. And then after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And so here, Paul says the most important thing is, yes, Jesus died for our sins, but the most important thing is that Jesus was, was given the power by God to be raised from the dead. And that's the resurrection that gives us new life. So look at number one, two right reasons for the resurrections. Number one, it's the foundation of all Christian faith. It's the foundation of all Christian faith. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then all of our preaching is useless and all of our faith is useless. No other God has ever raised from the dead. And so we put our faith in the true one and living God. Number two, it's the only guarantee. And this is what I want to camp on for just a minute and we're going to let you go. Look at this. Number two, it's the only guarantee of the inheritance we're promised as followers of Christ. It's the only guarantee of the inheritance we are promised as followers of Christ. See, I have a promise that I can't, I can't bring my loved ones back to me who have died as they uh, knew the Lord. But my promise is that I can go to them. Somebody say, I can go to them. Now check this out in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at this scripture. I just want to bless you with these scriptures. All praise to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it is His great mercy that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Do you know why we're so excited about Jesus and so excited about church and so excited? Because we have a great expectation. If you are living life, please hear me. If you are living life with no hope of the future and no expectation for good things and for godly things, I want to ask you today, please surrender to the Lord because when he fills your heart, you have tremendous expectation. I just expect the inheritance of God. Now look at verse 4. Check this out. We have a priceless inheritance. This is why, you know, everybody says, I don't know. I can be a Christian. I don't have to go to church. 
you know, I don't know about all that church stuff. I don't want to always give my money to the church and all that. I can watch guys on TV and this and that and the other and on and on. You know, I want to be a Christian. I just don't like all the rules. Anybody know anybody that says that? I'm having too much fun. If I become a Christian, I'm, I might have to give up some of the stuff I'm doing. I'm telling you today on the authority of God's word that the inheritance that I have is way more valuable than any fun or anything I could do on this earth. The inheritance that I have is eternal. Somebody say eternal. The thing about eternity is this. If you took a milk jug, any milk drinkers in the house? I tell you, my wife, my lovely, sweet wife, I think she is a heavy milk consumer. I'm trying to measure my words here because I don't really get in trouble with my wife. But she is, she drinks so much milk. We went through like, is a gallon in a day, is that awful? Is that too much? Is that too... You do a gallon a day, do not come to my house. I cannot afford any more milk, okay? I'm just, she drinks so much milk. I don't even know what that has to do with anything. What it doesn't have to do with anything. I totally lost it. Oh, eternity in the milk jug. Thank you. Thank you. Rabbit trail. Get me. Thank you, Gail. Okay, so eternity is like this. If you took a milk jug that my wife emptied for you, she will take that milk jug, drink all the milk, give you the milk jug. If you took that milk jug and went to the ocean and put every drop of water in the ocean in milk jugs and dumped it out, every drop of water in the oceans, and took it to another planet, whatever, and dumped it out, and did that again, you just started eternity. Every drop in a gallon jug over and over again, you do that ten times, you just started eternity. I'm telling you that because I've made Jesus the Lord of my life, I've been born again, I've given my life to Christ, I've surrendered, I've said I'm going to follow you. Listen, guys, for real, I'm not taking a chance that I'm wrong. If, you, if I'm wrong about all this stuff, Jamarcus, if I'm wrong when I die, man, I'm a really good man. I love my family. I helped a lot of people. But, man, if you don't believe in Jesus and you haven't given your life to Christ, if you are wrong, there is hell to pay. And I say that very measured, and I say that on purpose, not to scare you, but to encourage you. Why are we messing around with stuff that has no eternal value? When if we give our life to Jesus who rose from the dead, the reason he's alive is so he can be living forever in eternity with us. It says here we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Look at verse 5. Through your faith. Say, that's my part. Through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation when it's ready to be revealed at the last day for all to see. So that's our promise. The Bible says, we won't look at it, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 that this, this, this body's wasting away. But it says our spirits are renewed every day. How many of you realize your body's wasting away? How many of you have looked in the mirror and thought, oh, man, I'm wasting away? I'm like, dear me, man. Uh, the other day I thought I saw my first gray hair, and I was like, no, 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 no. The, our body is wasting away. But the Bible says our spirit can be renewed every day. So, Jared, just the title, not the actual points, but I want to show you what, what we're going to do over the next number of weekends. This is, this is all we're going to get to today. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you how you can tr turn your tragedy into triumph. I so desperately want to tell you how you can start, you can let go, and you can look forward. You can let go of the past. You can look forward. I desperately want to tell you how this can be day one of the best of your life. I have all these steps from David, all these principles that David did. David turned his tragedy into triumph into a testimony.
But I can't tell you today. You have to come back next week. I have six of them. I want to tell you six lessons on letting go and looking forward. Please come back next week because I want to bless you. I want to help you. I don't ever want to just tell you, you need to do this. You need to do that. I want to tell you how we can do it, how we can walk this out. Can we pray? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that we have talked about the resurrection and that it's the foundation for all of Christian faith and that it's the proof of our inheritance of how much you love us and how much you care about us. And Lord, thank you today that we learned how to to look at tragedy in a different way and understand that that's Satan's uh, scheme and device is to tear us apart from you. But we're not going to let that happen. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room this morning. Thank you that you've sent them here. Thank you that you're working on their heart. I want to ask every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Nobody moving around if you can. Nobody looking around. I said some hard things this morning, but I said them in love. The reality is, friends, that the Bible is true. No matter what philosophers say, no matter what the news says, no matter what the media says, the Bible's God's word, and it is absolutely true. I'm not going to argue with you on translations or here's an error. I found an error. We're not looking for the errors. We're looking for the truth. And God's word is true enough that tells me if I die without giving my life to Christ because of sin, that I will be separated from God for all of eternity. Friends, I don't want that for any of you in this house. I have prayed for you this week. I've cried over you this week because I don't want tragedy to tear you away from a loving God. I don't want tragedy to, to you to go, well, if God loves me so much, why could this ever have happened to me? That's a whole other message for a whole other series, which we'll do. But just understand that God loves you so much that he wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to make today the first day of the best of your life. Maybe you walked with God as a kid, but you've fallen away. We want to pray with you. I have somebody today, my dear friend, his name is Jay. All we want to do is just simply take you uh, in the back just for a minute and just share with you about making a decision for the Lord. We don't believe that you just raise your hand, sign a card, and everything's good. We believe that we want to help you and help disciple you and put you on a path to have a relationship with God. Just like we celebrated Caleb. Caleb gave his heart to Jesus on Wednesday. He just did this. God took out the, the book of life Wednesday night, and he wrote Caleb's name down. And it's there forever. Man, that could be you today. Most churches are like, make it a big embarrassing deal if you want to get saved. Everybody's looking at you like, oh, look at that crazy sinner getting saved today. Man, that's not it at all. We will celebrate with you. I will jump through one of these windows with excitement because of how much God loves you. Please don't miss this. Eternity is too long. Heaven's too real. For you to be separated from God's love, please come back to the Lord today or please, please give your heart to Christ and just make a decision. I'm just going to let Jesus radically change my life. If you say, Pastor James, that's me. I want you to pray with me and I want to start this journey as a Christ follower. If that's you, I just want you to signify yes publicly. Be brave. Be a brave man. Be a brave woman and say, I'll make that decision today. I'll join Caleb, and I want my name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. If that's you, let me pray with you. Please let me pray with you. On the count of three, just say yes. One, two, 
three. Say, that's me, Pastor. I want to follow Christ. Anybody in this room today, God is drawing your heart. Say, I want to either come back to the Lord today for the, or for the first time, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Anybody in this room say, that is me. One more second. Hey, man, well, we're all family. That's awesome. Would you all stand with me? I want to invite the worship team to come. Praise God, we're all family. But now, church, let's be challenged because we don't want to miss opportunities where we can reach people that aren't following Christ. And so let's use this as encouragement that we want to fill this place up. You guys will have to come up here, too. I want to ask our prayer team to come for just a minute, those of you that I've asked to help us on the prayer team. Listen, I know that there's a lot of hurts in this room, okay? I know there's a lot of pain. I know there's a lot of tragedy. I know there's been a lot of, lot of mess in our life. This morning, listen, we want to pray with you over anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be related to the message. This is not going to be some weird deal. All you're going to have is these wonderful people just going to take your hand, and they're just going to pray with you. So as the worship team begins to sing, if you are in this place and you say, I, I need prayer over something, you don't have to tell me. They might ask you what it is. But and it can be anything at all. You say, I need prayer today. I need somebody to agree with me over a, a situation. As they begin to sing, I want you to worship, and I want you to come down. Let us just pray with you. We need to share our burdens with one another. Amen. Let's close our eyes.